Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. With no games to watch the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, I've had to reevaluate and kind of think about why I'm a sports fan, right? With all this time off, it's like, well, why do I miss sports? Why am I a sports fan in the, the first place? And I think part of it is we like the routine. It helps us get through our day, get through our week. I like having a box score to look at. I like having a pregame and a postgame show. I like turning on sports radio in the morning and, and getting to hear a recap of the game from the night before. I like fantasy sports a lot, fantasy football, fantasy basketball. But the last couple of months, we've really had a chance to isolate athletes from the games that they play. Meaning, I've seen Aaron Rodgers in the last two weeks outside of sports. Athletes right now are very active with everything going on between the coronavirus, a lot of them are volunteering time and money, and now with the protests going on as well all over the country, athletes have put themselves in the spotlight in that realm as well, outside of sports completely. So just as the last couple of months have provided me an opportunity to evaluate why I'm a sports fan in the first place, these last couple of weeks have given us an opportunity to look at athletes outside of the realm of sport and really view them as a person or as an activist or as a leader. And that's a cool opportunity because we're seeing some amazing things. I want to talk about that to start the show today. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you had a great weekend. We're going to talk about baseball coming up in a few minutes. We're going to talk about the Packers as well. But the big news of the day came just a couple of minutes ago, and that's some Vikings news. And I don't want to dwell on it, but I just want to pass it along if you didn't see. Uh, According to Adam Scheffner, Dalvin Cook is not coming to training camp. He's not showing up without what he referred to in quotes as a reasonable contract. And there wasn't a lot of wiggle room in the language that Adam Schefter chose to use. He said, plain and simple, man, he's not showing up if he doesn't get a reasonable contract. Plain and simple. So Dalvin Cook's looking for a new deal in what will be his fourth year. Now, it'll be a year early, but some players are good enough to get that new contract a year early. Jamal Adams from the same draft. Remember, Dalvin Cook went in the second round. Now, he has transformed himself from a second-round pick to one of the best backs in the NFL. But that club of players that gets a new contract early, gets that second contract early, it's a very limited club. Jamal Adams is probably going to get a new deal, and he was a top-five pick in Dalvin Cook's draft. Ezekiel Elliott got that new deal. He was a top-five pick. So Dalvin Cook, it might be a long shot, because typically when players ask for a new contract a year early, it's only the players that are drafted in the top-five, top-ten Dalvin Cook is an incredibly gifted running back. He's one of the best backs in the league. I don't know, though. The Vikings don't exactly have a lot of cap space, especially once they they allocate uh, Anthony Harris's money into place. So, Dalvin Cook, I don't know. The, The future is uncertain, and it's something we'll follow because he's such a big part of that Vikings team and therefore impacts the Packers, the whole division, and Wisconsin sports, which is the point of this show. But not to dwell on the Vikings. That's just the news of the day. I wanted to pass that along if you hadn't seen it because that could potentially change things for the Vikings, Packers, Bears, Lions. Could change a lot of things in the NFL this year. So I wanted to pass that along. But I want to start by talking about athletes outside of sport. The last couple of weeks has given us a chance to see some of our favorite athletes off the court or off the field doing things, being activists, being leaders, being volunteers. And we've seen it before, but not like this. I mean, sports have been shut down for months. We have never seen it like this in my lifetime. Last week, 
I talked about how I'm proud to be a Packer fan and proud to be an Aaron Rodgers fan. The Packers put out that really cool video that included a bunch of players on their team. And Mark Murphy put out what I thought was an incredibly well-written, thoughtful, honest statement. And he backed it up by contributing a quarter of a million dollars, which the Packers matched. So, from Mark Murphy and the Green Bay Packers, half a million dollars going to charitable causes that support uh, social justice causes in the state of Wisconsin. And I should also include uh, Mark Murphy's wife, Lori, who was mentioned in the statement as well. So, not just Mark Murphy. His family donating quarter mil, Packers another quarter mil for a total of a half million dollars. So, they put out the video. Mark Murphy put out a great statement and donated a bunch of money. Aaron Rodgers kind of struck back at what Drew Brees had to say, and this was his statement, if you've forgotten. A few years ago, we were criticized for locking arms in solidarity before the game. It has never been about an anthem or a flag, not then, not now. Listen with an open heart. Let's educate ourselves and then turn word and thought into action. Perfect statement from Rogers. Perfect statement from Mark Murphy and the Packers and his wife, Lori. And the money to back it up, the donation and the action to back it up. Like Aaron Rodgers said, let's turn word into action. Well, Mark Murphy and the Packers doing exactly that. I think the Packers responded perfectly. Their response fit the brand of the Packers. Mark Murphy putting out this long statement, we're going to donate. We're going to donate a half million dollars when all is said and done to to causes all over the state. Aaron Rodgers, in his own aloof, kind of California cool way, put out a statement on social media that was almost in response to what Drew Brees had to say. It was very on-brand. And it fit the Packers. Now, that's not taking away anything from any other team or any other athlete. I don't think there's a a right or a wrong way to do this. I think the only wrong response in this instance is to do nothing. Right? I don't think what the Brewers did was bad or what the Cubs or the Vikings or any other team. I'm not saying the other teams are doing a poor job. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to go about this. I think it's wrong to do nothing. I think inactivity is the only mistake in this situation. Just being active. The Packers' response fit their brand and fit their team. Now, another Wisconsin sports team, I thought, did some great things this weekend. And their response, their actions, fit the team as well. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, the Bucks play in a very different city. They're surrounded by a very different fan base, a very different culture. It's a completely different atmosphere going to a Bucks game and going to a Packers game. Packers pull people from all over the state. Milwaukee is, is a little bit more local. And it's really, really cool to, to go visit. But when I come from Menominee, which is four hours away, or from Lacrosse, which is three hours away. I, f- I feel like I'm in a, in a new place entirely. Different people, different sport, different downtown scene. Milwaukee is its own thing. Now, the Brewers, Miller Park is outside of town, and people come from all over the state. The Brewers are more similar to the Packers in that regard, but the Bucks are very unique. And Saturday, the Bucks joined a protest that was organized uh, by Milwaukee activist Frank Nitty. And if you followed him on Facebook or any other social media channels, you see that he's been doing great work. He's been very active. And on Saturday, Giannis and his brother Thanasis and his girlfriend and their son Liam were all out helping and marching with these activists and with these protesters. Sterling Brown, Dante DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez, Frank Mason, Cam Reynolds were all out there on Saturday. Now, this protest went over the 27th Street Bridge, over 94. They didn't, none of the Bucks players spoke with reporters. They were just there to be a part of it to help out. Now, they grabbed the, bull, the, the bullhorn. Sterling Brown spoke, Giannis spoke, but they didn't speak with media a whole lot. They just showed their face and said, this is our community. We want you guys to know we're here for you. And then on Sunday, the Bucks, not just the Bucks players, but the Bucks organization and their ownership and everybody involved did something really, really cool. And that was organized their own protest, their own demonstration. The Milwaukee Bucks started on the plaza in the Deer District in front of the Pfizer Forum and went down 
uh, to the to the lakefront. They put out a memo, said the Bucks organization, including players, coaches, ownership, management, and staff, would be attending the event. So you expected a presence from the Bucks. You didn't know who. So the players, once again, Brooke Lopez, Dante DiVincenzo, Ursan Ilyasova, Wesley Matthews, Cam Reynolds, Frank Mason, all showed up uh, on Sunday and on Saturday. But Sunday was the Bucks. They set it up. And this protest started in front of Fiserv, marched to the lake, and included about 7,500 people. Isn't that awesome? This isn't the, the first foray into social issues that the Bucks have taken. If you remember back in uh, December, earlier this year or late last year, they played basketball at the Racine Correctional Institute. It was the, a, a movement that the NBA and an initiative the NBA put forward, and I think the Kings were another team that did this. It was called Play for Justice. Remember, they played a pickup game with some inmates, and they sat down, and they held a roundtable discussion. So the Bucks in the last year, and, and really that was a response to the Sterling Brown incident. Sterling Brown himself is a victim of police brutality, getting tased and, and, and was, a, was a recipient of, uh, what would the term be, uh, excessive force in front of that Walgreens. He sued the city. He was never charged with a crime, but was tased and, and was met with excessive force. He sued the city and the Bucks did this or took part in this as a response and, and, and to support Sterling Brown and support their community. Like I said, there's no right or wrong way to do activism. I think as long as you're doing something, you're doing a good thing. The Packers did their thing. The Bucks did their thing. Local groups or state groups or federal groups or even neighborhood groups. Everybody is going to engage with this differently. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do it. I think the Packers' actions fit the Packers' brand and their fans. I think the Bucks' actions fit the Bucks' brand and, and their community and their fans. The Bucks killed it, and this is really important because the Bucks have a responsibility in this state that the Packers and the Brewers really don't. Milwaukee is 40% black in a state that's only 6% black, and it depends on what number you look at and, and what measurement you look at, but Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities in the United States. If you only look at the metro, I believe it's the most segregated city in the United States, but there's a lot of way to, lots of ways to spin those numbers. The Bucks had to play an active role in their community. They needed to be out in the street organizing things, not just sending in a statement and sending in a check. But the Bucks exercised such strength and put on such a great, uh, a great event to show that they're a part of their community in downtown Milwaukee. Because let's be real, Madison doesn't have the same population as Milwaukee. Eau Claire, La Crosse, very different than Milwaukee. That's a, a 40% uh, the, the demographic is 40% black in a state that's like 5% black. Milwaukee has a unique responsibility and a unique connection to this issue, and therefore the Bucks do as well. The Bucks had to play an active role because their community, the community of Milwaukee, the segregated minority community of Milwaukee has felt this problem. Sterling Brown, one of their players included. The Packers can be a bit more aloof. They're the Green Bay Packers. They're this, this historical entity. And they sent in a big check. They backed it up. The statement was good. The video was good. And we'll talk more about that later on in the show. We'll hear from Matt LaFleur. The Packers could be more aloof, but the Bucks got hands-on in their own community and said, we're here, we're going to walk this walk with our fans and with our community because we have a responsibility to our town and our people that the Brewers and the Badgers and the Packers just don't have. And I thought the Bucks did a really, really, really good job. Well done, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, speaking of isolating and separating, right? At the beginning of the show, I said, we've had an interesting experience here separating athletes from the sport that they play. We're seeing athletes in a new light. Well, I want to talk about baseball coming up next, and I want to continue this conversation along those same lines. 
we're all mad at Major League Baseball, and we're fed up with Major League Baseball. But what about the Brewers? Because the Brewers are a part of Major League Baseball. Do you have any angst towards the Brewers or Brewers ownership? I want to give you the latest on baseball. I did some math. This should be really entertaining. I did some math. I did some research. And what I found and what I read was pretty interesting. I want to share that with you, the financials of what's holding up baseball. And like, are you mad at the Brewers or is it a baseball issue? And we still love Council and Atanasio and Yelich and, and right. Can you compartmentalize it too? Because I can. We'll talk about it coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show uh, coming up in a few minutes. Stay right here. Sports Show rolls on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good weekend. Dalvin Cook news is pretty crazy. Not something I expected. If you haven't seen or you missed the beginning of the show real briefly, Dalvin Cook like looks like he's not showing up to camp, not showing up without a new deal, which I didn't expect. Wasn't even on my radar. That could really change things in the NFC North for the Vikings, for the Packers, Bears, Lions. Crazy news. And that's something we'll talk about later on this week is as we hear more details, I just one last note on the Bucks. I'm so impressed with the Milwaukee Bucks. In in a couple of years, they went from an irrelevant franchise on the verge of moving to number one seeds in back to back years, contending for a championship with their best player winning MVPs and organizing their own social justice movement, organizing their own protest with players, with members of the organization. Which it's really bigger than just walking around with signs. It's the Bucks taking an active role in their community and supporting their community, the only community in Wisconsin that shares the demographic that Milwaukee does. Right, forty percent black in a state that's about six percent black. The Bucks have a certain responsibility to their community, and they came through big time this weekend. So so cool, so cool. I, I want to move on to baseball. Well, I don't want to, but we have to. I'm not going to share the latest Major League Baseball negotiation details. I, I'd personally rather jump off the Cass Street Bridge. But I've kept reading, and I've kept up to date, and I hate that I'm reading and keeping up to date because I'm tired out by it. But I think I've finally wrapped my head around it. I've started to figure it out. Because up until this point, I've just been confused. And that's most of my frustration is confusion. Because the alternative of not playing baseball, the alternative of missing a season, while the owners might save some money this year, the damage would take years to fix. Not only with fans being upset, the PR issue, we've talked about that, but the free agency market being dead next year, nobody having any money to spend, and fans aren't as interested, so you're going to have less revenue coming in that way. Ad money's probably going to be down. I can't speak to attendance, but based on what people say, attendance would probably be down too. And there's going to be no money for free agents. Baseball would be stuck in the mud expectedly for a couple of years to come. And up until this point, I'm like, do they not know that? Do they not realize that? Or or, or, are the people making these negotiations and these proposals the only people who don't realize the damage that baseball could suffer for years to come without a season? But I think I've finally gotten it figured out. I think I've finally wrapped my mind around it. Forget money, forget percentages, or, or forget prorated salaries or season length, forget it all. This is about the players feeling like Major League Baseball is telling them they don't matter, that they're not valuable. The players and their representation feel devalued. This isn't about COVID or money. It's about everything coming together and the players feeling dissed. And they won't stand for it. The players would rather die on this hill and not play baseball than show weakness, especially because the CBA is next year and these negotiations are really the start 
of something much more difficult coming in 2021. I was reading a Jeff Passan article through ESPN, uh, and, and he said the same quote. One, one of the, the players in on negotiations, or the, uh, an individual and a source in on negotiations, saying, hey, we feel devalued. And, and he said, you have to view this, his source, said you have to view this in a vacuum, right? Think about what they're asking for. They're asking us to do our job for less than we were going to be paid to do our job which in most instances would be very unfair. But if you don't look at the situation in a vacuum and you think, oh yeah, there's a pandemic going on, well, actually it's not so outrageous. This to me shows that the Major League Baseball players and the Major League Baseball Players Association have their priorities a little bit out of whack. Now the owners do too, and I'll get to that in a moment. But this isn't about money. This isn't about COVID or season length anymore. This is about the players feeling devalued. And this isn't a time to focus on your ego. It's time to set that aside. Now, that being said, I don't blame the players for this. I'm frustrated by the players, but if I was at the the, the 1% of my profession and I was a professional athlete, I'd feel the same way. So I'm not going to fault him. But this is an ego thing at this point for the players and their representation. It's no longer about money or season like It's about ego, which is frustrating. I get it, but it's frustrating. Now let's talk about the owners and let's talk about the finances. I researched, oh my God, you have no idea how many things I had to read to wrap my mind around the financials of how this works. This proposal, the proposal that the players want, which is an 82-game regular season at their prorated salaries that were agreed to in March. That's what the players want. Financially, the proposal is very, very doable. Now, the owners are going to lose some money, and it's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars, but allow me a couple of minutes to explain why a couple hundred million dollars to the owners is chump change. Need to bear with me. Let me make this argument. And and you're going to hear that, what, $300 million, which sounds like a huge amount of money because it is, but when split between 30 baseball teams over the course of a season, it's nothing. It's peanuts. And it's no reason to miss out on a season. So let me lay down the facts for you. It's going to cost a team $1.6 million per game to pay players their full prorated salary, the amount that was agreed to in March, $1.6 million per game. Now, the money coming in through TV deals per game is just under a million. That sits at about $900,000. And that doesn't take into account teams that own their own TV network, which the revenue is going to be much higher. So $900,000 is on a low end, but we'll use it because it's a conservative, easy round number. Now, Compare that $900,000 of income with the $1.6 million of payroll, that equates to about a $600,000 loss per game per team. $600,000. That's been reported by teams. That's not math that I had to spin. That's not a projection. That's the team's number, about $600,000 loss per game with no fans. $900,000 coming in, $1.6 going out. Now, Major League Baseball wants 48 games. That's their proposal. And they were willing to do it at the prorated salary agreed in March. So when you do the math, the MLB is okay with losing about $400 million. The number is $460,800,000. That's based off those salaries off of 720 total games, right? 48 games, 30 teams, 720 total. So the MLB in their last proposal essentially said, we're okay with losing $460,800,000. They're okay with losing that much money. Now, the players want 82 games, which per 30 teams equals just over 1,200 total games. 
And in that scenario, Major League Baseball loses $787 million. Well, it's actually $787,200,000. The difference between 82 and 48 games for prorated salary, the difference is $326,400,000. That's the difference. That's the difference between where the owners are and the players are. $326,400,000. That's the difference. Now, when you do the math, that equals $10,880,000 per team. And drumroll, that's Abby Garcia's contract this year. Abby Garcia, that's his average annual value. He signed a two-year, $20 million deal. $10 million per year, per team. That's, that's Abby Garcia. That's nothing. We're going to lose an entire baseball season and deal with the damage for years to come because owners don't want to tack on an extra year of what equates to Avi Garcia's average annual value? That's nothing. And yeah, the numbers look huge. $1.6 million per game, right? Losses of $600,000 per game and a total loss of $787 million. Boil it all down, do all the math, and it equates to $10,880,000 per team for this season. That's the average annual value of Avi Garcia who is a mid-level free agent. I like Avi Garcia, but let's not act like his contract is breaking the bank. $10,880,000 per team. Mark Atanasio is worth $700 million. Think about that. The season could be saved at 82 games at prorated salaries, which is what the players want, for an extra $10 million, almost $11 million per team. Mark Atanasio is worth $700 million. $700 million. Now, personally, I've 100% compartmentalized Major League Baseball and the Brewers. When I think of the MLB right now, I think greedy, ego, strong players union that won't budge even over a relatively small amount of money. Stubborn. That's what comes to mind. When I think of the Brewers, I think of Greg Council. Christian Yelich just signed a new deal. They have a young starting rotation. I think of Josh Hader. I don't necessarily equate one with the other right now. Although that's very difficult to see. That it would take essentially $11 million per team to save this season or give the players what they want, which I think would allow baseball to be played. $11 million per year, the average annual value of Avisail Garcia. Meanwhile, the Brewers owner is worth $700 million. There's the math. That's what it would take. That's what they're fighting over. It's peanuts. It's jump change when you boil it down. When you start with the grand totals for the whole Major League Baseball, yeah, it seems big, but break it down team by team by team, and then look what the owners are worth. It's chump change. It's nothing. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not without my frustration towards baseball players in this situation either, but $11 million per owner, it's nothing. It's no reason to miss out on a baseball season and deal with the collateral damage for years to come. Silly to me, but it's been silly this whole time. When we come back, I want to talk about the Packers. I actually want to extend a conversation that was started uh, by Dave Carney on the WKTY Morning Show this morning, the arterial daily poll question. I thought it was fascinating, and I want to continue that conversation coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show. Stay right here. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. Your comments are always welcome. I'd love to have a conversation. 608-796-2558. 
is the five-star telecom talk and text line. Shoot me a text. We've been talking about baseball, been talking about the Bucks, who I thought did an incredible job this weekend, uh, leading and organizing and just supporting their community this past weekend, uh, being involved in one protest on Saturday and organizing their own on Sunday, which I think is brilliant. Shout out to the Bucks. What what a great job. So that's what we've been talking about. I do want to talk about the Packers. It's been difficult to come up with topics the last few weeks just because there are no games going on. There's nothing going on. So tonight I thought I'd steal one from Dave, Dave Carney, who hosts the WKTY Morning Show. So every morning, if you listen, uh, you know that Dave has a poll question, the arterial daily poll question. Every single day he tweets it out when he gets up out of bed. So that's normally like 3.15 in the morning. 3.15 in the morning, and then it's always on our website, of course, at WKTYsports.com, which is where I'm looking at it right now. This is the question. What position is poised for the biggest improvement for the Packers in 2020? The options, wide receiver, secondary, D-line, or other. Now let's check the results here really quickly just to see if they haven't changed since this morning. So wide receiver has 53% of the vote, secondary and D-line, both have 7% and other has 33%. So the, the the majority of you are saying wide receiver. And I thought we'd talk about this because I think it's I think it's a very interesting question. I, I did some grades, some very simple, quick grades, just to try to get an idea of where the Packers offense is, where their defense is, and and what a simple improvement in only one or two position groups, what that could do to the entire team. So let's talk about this for an idea. Let's go along with the arterial daily poll question. And it's always easy to talk about the Packers. So we're stealing from Dave. We're talking about the Packers. This is a win-win for everybody. Secondary, D-line, or wide receiver? What group is going to make the biggest jump in 2020? Well, let's start with secondary. The way I see it, they're locked and loaded starters for day one are Jair Alexander and Kevin King at corner and Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos at safety. Now, the Packers are going to play a lot of dime. They played a lot of dime last year, and they have since lost really their only good linebacker, unless Oren Burks comes out of nowhere. So I think they're going to be in dime just as much as last year, if not more, which means they're going to have six defensive backs on the field. Jair and Kevin King and Savage and Amos only get you four. So you need two more bodies. They really like Chandon Sullivan, and I guess we'll see what they do with that six spot. They also really like Will Redman, and they just drafted Vernon Scott. So those are your possibilities. I think the Packers are going to be in dime a lot. So Chandon Sullivan, Redman, and Scott could see some time. But Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, those are your big four. I don't see Kevin King taking a huge leap. I thought he took a, a huge leap last year by just staying healthy and, and having a couple. I mean, Kevin King had some big interceptions last year, big moments. Bo- a, one in both Vikings games, one in the Cowboys game. He had a knack last year for opportune interceptions. Now, I actually think Jair Alexander could be statistically better this season, even though I think his his play doesn't have to improve, but he had a lot of opportunities and interceptions that he just missed or strips that he just missed last year or past, past deflections that he just missed. So I think Jair Alexander, if he just improves his ball skills slightly, you'll see those numbers jump up. I think Adrian Amos is what he is, which is a really solid safety that doesn't miss time. Hopefully Darnell Savage makes a jump in year number two. But I don't see the secondary making this huge, massive, unforeseen leap. So I'm going to discard secondary as an answer for now. Let's talk about defensive line. Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and Tyler Lancaster. Those are your three down linemen. The Packers play a 3-4. That's an odd front. So three defensive linemen, four linebackers. Although we know with the Packers, they're not going to play that many linebackers. They're going to substitute with defensive backs, dime personnel, right? 
So three defensive linemen, you have Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and Tyler Lancaster. Those are your three guys. Assuming they don't bring in Mike Daniels or they don't do anything uh, before the season starts. Now, Kenny Clark is Kenny Clark. I think we know what he is. So then if we're talking about a possible improvement, we're then talking about Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster. Dean Lowry was a fourth-round pick. Tyler Lancaster was an undrafted free agent. Lowry and Lancaster are the types of players you find in the draft and you get great value. You get a contributor in the fourth or the fifth round, but they never explode and become all pros. They're kind of what you see is what you get. I think Mike Daniels is an amazing comparison for Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster. Took him in the fourth round, and you found a real gem. You got great value. But when his contract was up, they said, all right, we've we've gotten out of you more than we ever thought we could have when we drafted you in the fourth round, and now it's time to say goodbye. I think Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster are the same type of player. They're great role players who stay healthy, and they give you valuable snaps, but they're not going to give you much above the average line. Dean Lowry, I mean, he showed an ability last year to get his hands up, and he had an interception, and, and he's, he's had some big plays. But I don't see Dean Lowry taking a huge jump, and I don't see Tyler Lancaster taking a huge jump either. Now, you can talk about Kingsley Kiki. Everybody's talking about Kingsley Kiki. I need to see it. I hope he explodes onto the scene. A lot of people are, are, are saying that he might. You could use Rashawn Gary on the inside, too. I, I talked with Leroy Butler two weeks ago. I said, look, if they're going to play this much dime, then they need to utilize one of these secondary players in a pass-rushing capacity. Because if you have Darnell Savage or Jair Alexander blitzing, well, now you can keep Preston Smith or Zadarius Smith or Rashawn Gary. You can bring them on the inside, especially Zadarius, where he's been so good. And you can use him in run support, which they desperately need. So Mike Patton's got to figure out a way to get more value rushing the passer from one of their defensive backs so they can get more value from one of their all-pro pass rushers when it comes to stopping the run, if it makes sense. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul, but it's but it's but you're not really losing much, if that makes sense. So you're not robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're just sliding one great player into another role so you can maximize another great player in a different role where you need help. Look at it that way. I don't think the D-line is going to take a huge jump. Not the secondary, not the D-line. So to answer Dave Carney's arterial uh, daily poll question, which group will take the biggest jump in 2020, I think it's going to be the wide receivers. Now, your known starters are Devontae Adams and... Alan Lazard. Other than that, it's a lot of question marks. A lot of options, which is a good thing. Devin Funchess, I think, is, has got to be near the front of that line just because he's a veteran. And then there's Equinemius St. Brown and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who are in that next tier. And then the final tier is Kumaro and Shepard. They're options. A couple of reasons why I think the wide receiving group will be the most improved group in 2020, at least in the options that Dave Carney gave us this morning. Firstly, I can't imagine they keep all seven of those wide receivers that I just mentioned. LaFleur drafted two tight ends in two years, and he drafted another running back this year. So to think that they're going to keep seven wide receivers a la Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy, I, I just don't think it's realistic. Allen or Adams and Lazard are locks. I think Funchess, EQ, and MVS are locks. That's five. We'll see what they do after that. Kumaro, Darius Shepard, maybe somebody gets cut. Who knows? I think those five are locks. Past five, I'm not really sure, but I can't imagine they keep seven wide receivers. Here's a couple of reasons why I think the wide receiving group will be improved. And a low starting point helps, right? Like last year, the wide receiving group wasn't very good, so it's not like they have to do a lot to make a jump in 2020. They didn't draft or sign a high-priced free agent wide receiver. If the Packers really felt like they were screwed on the outside, 
with the current wide receivers they have, then they probably would have drafted one. Maybe not in the first or second round because the board really didn't fall that way. But in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, they had, they had opportunities to take another wide receiver, and they just didn't. They almost made a point not to, which I translates to me as they really like the group they have. That's reason number one. Reason number two, Equinemius St. Brown and Marquez Valdez-Scantling are entering year three, which is the year where if a wide receiver is going to pop, they pop. That was the case with Devontae Adams, who had a rocky second year, very similar to EQ and MVS, but then became a consistent contributor in year three and has now elevated himself to the wide receiver that we know. Year three is a big year, and that's why I have high hopes for EQ and MVS. That's reason number two. Reason number three, Matt LaFleur wants to design an offense with easier, more efficient throws. Therefore, the task of these wide receivers will be simpler. It will be easier to accomplish. They don't need to be on the same page with Aaron Rodgers when it comes to timing routes and back shoulder throws and tiptoeing along the sideline and and the play breaking down in a scramble drill because that's not what Matt LaFleur wants. He wants to hit screens. He wants to hit yards after the catch, a tap pass, a wide receiver screen, a slant. Those are easier routes to run and easier catches to convert. So Matt LaFleur wants to make this offense more wide receiver friendly. Another and my final reason I think the wide receivers will be the biggest, biggest, most improved group out of the options that Dave Carney gave us this morning. Now, the way I graded this out really quickly, one of these groups for the Packers, wide receiver, secondary D-line, one of these groups has to improve if the Packers want to take another step. Not every position group needs to be A+, but you can't have multiple weak links. And right now, wide receiver and D-line, they have more than one. So this is the math I did. I gave a grade, A, A minus, B plus, B minus, C plus, you know how it goes. I gave a grade to every position group on the defense and on the offense. The average grade for the defense is a C minus. Because the D line is poor and the linebackers are non-existent. Now, if that D line can take a step up, that grade gets a lot higher, right? Because the pass rush is already great. The secondary is already pretty good. All they need is for that D-line to take a jump up, and then you can deal with not having great linebackers. The offense, on the other hand, this is how I graded out. I said B-plus at quarterback. Offensive line is an A-minus. Running backs, A. Tight ends, C. Wide receivers, C. That doesn't mean I don't like these wide receivers or tight ends, but currently, as of right now, June 8th, we don't really know what they are. So that grade averages out to be an even B. If those wide receivers can take from an average group, a C, to even a B plus or a B, this offense is a lot more dangerous because it's a lot more efficient. They have a lot more options in the passing game. Defense will see. I'm very, very hesitant to anoint that defensive line as an improved unit because they didn't really address it other than some street free agents. We'll see. Maybe Kingsley Kiki comes through, but I'm hesitant. Wide receivers or tight ends, if they just jump up a little bit, this offense is going to be really, really good, especially if Aaron Rodgers and... Matt LaFleur, further their relationship offensively. A lot of potential. When we come back, let's talk about Matt LaFleur. He spoke with media on Friday, and I had a chance to watch the press conference again today, and and I thought Matt LaFleur said some really thoughtful, insightful things. And I actually thought the Packers beat brought their game during this conference call. I thought they asked some really good, interesting questions. So we'll hear from Coach Matt LaFleur. I want to tell you about some giveaways we got going on right now. You can win some free stuff, uh, including some some gift cards to restaurants in the lacrosse area, and some golf and free food and beer in the lacrosse area. So I'll tell you that. We'll hear from Matt LaFleur coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show on the way. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. 
My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. You can follow me on Twitter at WKTY. Follow me at Keystroker Grant. Follow all of us at WKTY. If you're not doing anything and you're staying at home and you're social distancing, right, and looking for some way to occupy your time, well, I, I got a couple things you got to check out. Go to WKTYsports.com. We have two giveaways going on right now. Number one, show us your Wisco. The link's right on our on the main page of our website. All you got to do is submit a picture to us wearing your favorite Wisconsin sports gear, and you will be entered to win rounds of golf at Trempolo Mountain with the cart. And when it's 90 degrees out, that's that's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. And then after, you're going to get some uh, get some some burgers and some beers at Howie's on Lacrosse Street. So you can have a day at Trempolo Mountain with the golf cart, which when it's this hot, yeah. And then cold beer and, and burgers after the fact. All you got to do is submit a picture. Dave Carney is going to pull uh, a winner during our morning show coming up uh, this Friday. The other giveaway we have going on right now is our restaurant rewards program with Twisted Tea. Starting today, uh, dine in or carry out at any of our participating restaurants and ask for a code. You got to ask for a, a rewards code. And they'll give it to you. You punch it in right away. And you can win a $20 restaurant gift card or a $50 cash prize. So Buzzard Billy's, Flipside Pub and Grill, David Ray's, Dublin Square, Big Boar Barbecue, and Barracho's. In Onalaska. Those are the restaurants. I know you're going out to eat. We're all trying to support local restaurants right now anyways. So while you're there, check at these uh, participating restaurants and say, hey, can I get one of them codes? And they'll be like, absolutely. Punch it in right then and there, and you'll know if you're a winner. Just an email and a code. That's all it'll take. So uh, keep those two things in mind as as you go about your week. I want to hear from Coach Matt LaFleur. He spoke with media last Friday, and it was a very unique press conference because a lot of the questions dealt with the police brutality topic, the death of George Floyd, the death of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, right? These are things that typically aren't talked about in an NFL press availability, but was the main topic of conversation on Friday. Number one, Coach LaFleur is simply asked, like, how are you balancing your time right now between your social justice work that we saw on social media with the Packers and their players and actual football? How are you balancing those two things? You know, it's just, when I saw that video, it was, it was appalling, man. It was... It's totally unacceptable. Here we are in 2020, and this stuff is still ongoing. And really trying to to listen to our players, to listen to some of my closest friends um, that have dealt with this stuff throughout throughout their life, and and trying to come up with ways to to not only talk about it, but to be about it, and to to create those the, the changes that are needed in in society. And there's been a lot of discussions. Uh, I would say the majority of my time this this last week, over the course of this last week, has has been on other things, on on the social injustice, on pol- police brutality. Uh, had far more uh, conversations in regards to to those aspects of life instead of instead of football. As a follow up, then Matt Lafleur was asked, "Well, what kind of conversations have you p- had with your players, and what have you learned from your players?" The NFL is a majority black sport. Black players, black athletes have a little bit more experience with this kind of thing in comparison to Matt LaFleur and, and some of the other coaches like Mike Pettin on his staff. I thought it was a really poignant question. What have you learned from your players during this time? This is his response. Well, there's there's a lot of guys that are really hurting right now, and they've been hurting for years. And unfortunately, uh, we as a society have, haven't been listening. And it is... I'm just trying to think for myself and, and, and things I, I could do to, you know, help 
And I do think it starts with listening, but then we're going to have to start coming up with an action plan. And I've had a couple of meetings today with, with some of our coaches. Certainly I've had many conversations with our players and I think we're all kind of brainstorming right now and, and um, making sure that we take the necessary steps to see, to see some positive change. Last thing I like to hear players taking initiative. He was asked, how did your video come about the long video that the Packers put out? I loved hearing him speak about this. We had met as a leadership council and we were just trying to throw around some ideas of, you know, what can we do that may be a little bit different than just, you know, releasing a statement or, or just a little more powerful and, and credit to the guys. Uh, they, they came up with this idea. Um, everybody put a lot of work into it, a lot of thought, a lot of good thought. And, um, you know, Aaron kind of, we had some ideas that we, we got from some other places, but, you know, to Aaron Rogers kind of took the bull by the horns and, um, you know, wrote a, a, a specific piece that we would all say at the beginning and at the end. And then everybody in the middle of it kind of, put their own story. And so there was a lot of, a lot of meaning behind it. And I was really proud of our guys. I thought it was exceptionally well done. I thought the people in house that, that took all of our videos and, and spliced them together did a, amazing job that I thought the video was extremely powerful. The video was really well done. And like I said, at the beginning of the show, I thought the Packers response was perfect and it fit the Packers. Mark Murphy putting out an extensive statement with his wife, contributing a quarter million that the Packers matched to make it an even half million dollars donated to causes all around the state. The Bucks, on the other hand, playing a different type of community, a completely different community than the Packers do in Green Bay. And I thought the Bucks stepped up to the plate and, and met that obligation and were present in their city and, and were there with their fans and the members of their community. Milwaukee's about 40% black in a state that Population is only about 6% black. So the Bucks have a unique responsibility, and I thought they absolutely hit it out of the park, organizing their own protest on Sunday with their own players, showing that, that they're not just athletes. They are members of that community, too, and I, and I thought it was perfect. We're going to continue all these conversations uh, later on in the week. Same time, same place tomorrow. We'll be back on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.